Welcome, welcome, whoever you are. I like thinking about where you are because I know some of you are probably, you know, you're sitting in your living room. Some of you are sitting at the kitchen table on a stool. Some of you probably uh, lying in your bed with your laptop on your belly or in your phone with your car. Some of you are alive and in person. Uh, well, you're all alive, I know that, but some of you are in person at one of our campuses at Edgewood or Abingdon or Mountain Road here. Whoever you are, wherever you are, welcome. We're really glad you're here. Uh, it's going to be a really important day today. Um, you know, it's been about a year. We're at our one-year anniversary. We call it sometimes jokingly the coronaversary, right, since this whole crazy mess started, you know, last March with this COVID deal. And I wanted to just let you know that this Wednesday, we've put together a special program that's going to air online only Wednesday night at 7. We're going to just kind of have a, a reflective look back at some of the hard stuff, but also, I think, a really hope-filled look forward at some of the things that lie ahead for us as people and as a church. And I just want to encourage you to join us um, that's Wednesday night at 7, uh, wherever you're watching this online. Uh, if you're watching it online, that's where you'll find us. It's called The Rise of Hope, and it's this Wednesday at 7, all right? Just go to the website and check it out. So speaking of anniversaries, you know, it's, it's been um, a long time, almost 24 years that um, the Lord brought Carl and I to Mountain, you know, and, and been around for a long time. It's been an amazing ride, and... I love this church, and I, I love you all so much. And one of the reasons I, I feel privileged to be a pastor here, uh, among a lot of the reasons that, that it's a privilege, is that I get a front row seat to so many people that find their way back to God. I just can't even describe for you how exciting that is when you witness it when you get to see someone that makes that sort of change, people you never would have expected, never would have believed because of just the way their life was and what was going on in their head and their heart. And yet we've seen through the power of Christ, people embrace his love and his truth and devote themselves to this whole new kind of way of, of moving in the world. I've seen thousands baptized into a new relationship and a new kingdom of God and hear those words, welcome home. And I can't tell you what a privilege and a joy that is. I know if you're a part of Mountain, I assume you feel the same way. And we want to talk about that today. That, that idea of welcome home because, you know, we all long for home we do. We, we long for home. I mean, I know it sounds a little crazy because in some ways, I mean, we've all been cooped up in our houses like we never have before over the last several months. I mean, we literally haven't been able to get out of our homes. We spent more time there. We go to work in our homes. We go to the movies in our homes, right? We go to school in our homes, some of us. We order out so the food can come in to our homes. I mean, we spent a lot of time in our home, but there's a big difference, isn't there, between like the house or apartment that you live in, and this idea of home. Home is this bigger, deeper, richer thing, like capital H, home is what we're talking about. And that's that place where you really belong. It's the place that, that you know you fit in, where you want to be, where you're safe, where you, you connect, where you're at peace. Some of us had amazing homes that we grew up in. And our homes of our childhood bring back the fondest of memories. A lot of us, not so much. But all of us long for home like we just described, don't we? We all do. 
And one of the reasons we long for it is because we kind of drift in life. We, we drift from our heart's truest home. See if you can relate to what happened to me several years ago. I grew up in Minnesota, as a lot of you know, um, on the water, but it was a lake, okay, a lake. And so when we moved out east here to be with you all, um, when our kids were really little, I don't even remember how many kids we had, we went to the beach, like it was one of the first times I've ever been to the beach. And, you know, first of all, that's a horrible idea when you have littles, right? Going to the beach, you, I mean, you lather them up in sunscreen and then roll them in the sand, just get it over with, like, like pastries with sprinkles, right? And then just watch them stuff sand down their pants. That was, so, so anyway, I say to Carla, I say, hey, you got them for a while. I'm going to go try this body surfing thing. So I go out. I might have had a boogie board or something. And I figure out, I'm watching everybody, crowded beach, and, and I figure out how to catch a wave. And I ride it in. It was so much fun. You know, you wade out there again, and you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again. I was worn out. I don't know. I was probably out there an hour. See if you can relate to this. When I came back up on the shore, I thought, oh, I better go find the fam. I look up right where I left them, and they were gone. It's like, well, that's weird. Where'd they go? But then I noticed this. The condo was gone, too. Like where we were staying wasn't there. In fact, the lifeguard stand that was right there, they apparently moved it. You all, you're like, what a rookie, what a newbie. You know what was going on. Well, I didn't know. And I was learning what you all know about how undertow works and how imperceptibly as you ride those waves in, you're not coming straight into shore. It's kind of moving you. And then as you go out, you're moving more. And, and every time I came in, I would end up a little bit further down the shore just these imperceptible little shifts until I ended up someplace I um, never expected to be. And you know what? You already know this. That, that same thing happens in our life with God, doesn't it? It, ha it? it happens to me all the time. I'll bet it happens to you. Where, where we drift from God, where you know, I don't know, it's imperceptible, it's slow, it's like an undertow. You may you just get busy with life, or, you know, you got school, you head off to college, you got the military assignment, or you move, or the career gets busy, or you got kids, or you're going to school, or you have a stint of this or that, and everything's driving so fast, and you just keep riding these waves after waves after wave, and this imperceptible movement happens. I mean, I know sometimes some people, maybe you, just run from God, like flat out. Go as fast and far and hard as you can. Sometimes I think we kind of drift, though. And either way, all of us end up far from home, like places we never dreamt we would be. I read some data which said that 92% of Americans said they believed in God, but the vast majority of us feel like we really aren't very connected or close to him. Can you relate to that? Like, I guess I believe in God in my head, but I just don't feel like he's really a part of my life or I'm, I'm actually pretty far away from him on a daily basis. And some of us, I know, feel like we're way too far away from God, that he's probably given up on us by now. Like we've been gone long enough that he's probably moved on with his life, kind of forgotten about us. 
The thing we want to talk about today, and in this whole new series that we're kicking off today, is for every single one of us, because I don't care who you are or what your story really is, we all live this and struggle. This is for everyone. This is for the devout (laughs) and for the drifters. It's for the person who's devoted to God and the person who's distant from God and everybody in between, the devotees and the disconnected and the discouraged and maybe even some who are a little disgusted with Christianity or riddled with doubt about it all. Because we're in this together. You know, Isaiah 53 says, reminds us why. It says, we're all like sheep who have strayed away and we've kind of left the path of God to follow our own in life. And we all find ourselves down the beach. And here's the good news for today, y'all. Wherever the, the tide or the undertow of life has taken you, wherever you find yourself, whatever part of the beach that life has washed you up on, wherever you may be today, you can find your way home. That's the really good news today. You can find your way home. God promises us. I love, I love the promise out of a place like Jeremiah, chapter 29, which says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you allow the longings of your heart to pursue the thing you want the most, you will find at the end of that trail, God. And that's what we want to talk about. I want to invite you to do that, to open your heart to to let the hunger in your heart grow for what matters most so that we together can find our way back to God. Wherever you may be today, devout or distant. James 4 encourages us and says, draw near to God and he will in turn draw near to you. It's like God's already moving toward you wherever you may be. So the key is to have everyone have a moment like I had on the beach, right? To have that sort of wake up like, aha, oh, oh, now I get where I actually am kind of moments. To have a sort of spiritual wake-up call, if you will. We need those kind of awakenings where we realize that, you know what, we're all spiritual beings. I mean, some people like to say, I'm not very spiritual, you know. What they mean usually is, I don't like church. I don't like, you know, hymn books. I don't, I don't like to feel guilty. They mean something, but you know what? Everybody is a spiritual being. Everybody is because we're created by God in God's image for relationship with God. We're we're by nature and definition, these spiritual beings. It's not some compartment we can write off. And God has hardwired this innate longing inside of us. Lots of different longings for this home that we can only find in him. Because we know that life can pull us down the beach. So I invite you to think about your life and your story. Because we all got a story when it comes to this. What what kinds of things have been the undertow for you that have have just pulled you down the beach? I mean, I I was thinking about people I know and my own life experiences. I know one, for example, he was a kid that grew up in church. But he went off to college, to the university, and it was a you know, a roommate that had fancied himself a devout atheist and just kept in his face and in his ear every day and it it was rattling to him. Others, it's maybe a professor who likes to sort of 
you know, belittle people who are so simple and naive that they still believe in God or the Bible or something like that. Or classes that will talk openly about just how bad Christianity is and how many things it's done. They've just been so awful for the world. Or your own doubts just maybe rise up sometimes that you can't seem to find answers to, and, but yet you can find plenty of cynics to critique the faith. Or maybe it was more of an existential issue for you that, that helped you drift a little. Like I know this story repeated so many times in so many people's lives where you lose someone that you love and you called out to God and felt like that prayer wasn't responded to in the way that you had hoped. And it, it just led you to kind of just drift down the beach a little bit farther from home. Or maybe there's, you know, you grew up in church, but it just seems so stuffy and maybe formal or distant from you, or you got abused or neglected or whatever it was. There's a million reasons the undertow can pull us far from home, right? And yet no matter how far we go, no matter how long we're gone, we still have that inner longing to find our way back to God. It's really important to note that to find that way back home. And it all starts with this sort of waking up to this realization that that's all real. I had a friend of mine just uh, not long ago, he had a real scare because his wife had a medical thing. It was super serious. And he's like, I, he thought he was going to lose her. And he, and he just said things like, maybe you've all experienced this. Man, our marriage was just flat. We were just going along. But when that happened, I realized I might lose her. And all of a sudden, it was like I saw everything with a different set of eyes. And it mattered. I realized I needed her. I changed our relationship. And I think God uses tough times in our own lives to kind of wake us up like that a little bit. And I have a question for you. I mean, you're aware we've been through a tough time, right? <laughs> I mean, so here's an important question we ought to think about. Like, how... Are there ways that you can see how God wants to use COVID to, to, to wake you up and move you toward God? Can you think about that question for a little bit? Are there ways that God might be using this whole thing of what's been going on over the last few months to draw you back to himself, to spark some of those longings? We're going to talk about those kind of awakenings like that guy had about his wife. We need to have that about God and why we're here in the first place. And COVID ought to be a way to sort of prompt us to have it. And so if we think about those longings, we're going we're gonna to look at some of these longings that help us get our back home. And the first one is basically a longing for home where we say to ourselves, man, there's got to be more. Or there's another kind of thing where we sort of regret leaving home in the first place, where we say to ourselves, man, I wish I could start over. Or there's another kind of thing where we say, man, I, I finally realize my need, where, where I, I come to the end of myself and I realize I can't do this on my own. And, and then all of those longings kind of together can add up and help us finally come home to love and realize that God really does love me deeply after all, and I can hear those words, welcome home in a way maybe I never thought possible. That's the hope. That's the goal. That's where we're headed. So today we want to honestly talk about some of the deep longings that we have hidden inside of us and planted there by the God who put them there. Because God, God has hardwired us with this longing inside of us that says, there's got to be something more. 
That, that's what, my dog never asks that question. I mean, the only thing he wonders about is if there's more food in my pocket or, you know, more time getting his ears scratched. But humans are different. We have a kind of ability because of what's wired up inside of us to ask this question. The Bible says God has planted eternity in the human heart. Like we know this can't be all there is. When you stare into the heaven, when you have one of those moments, when you look at a newborn baby or the petals of a daisy or whatever triggers it, where you just are stirred by art or moved by music and you say, this cannot be all there is. There's got to be something more. Or when you look at the dissatisfactions of life, they can prompt the longings to rise up even greater. And so you look at some of the stories we write, the art that we love, and the songs we create and sing. Look at the songs we sing. I mean, to prove my point, how about this? Let's try this. Uh, a call and response. There's a little game here, all right? I, I'll, uh, I'll do my best to sort of hack my way through the first part of a pretty famous song, especially for old people. Um, I'll bet you know the, the, the last part of the song. So I'll, I'll start, and then you try to, right where you are, and don't leave me hanging, out loud at, at, at wherever you are, sing out loud and at the campuses as well. Okay, here, here we go. Finish the line, all right? How about this? So start with the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want. There you go. Good job. I'm sure you did it. Now, now it's fun. You can sing along on this one, all right? How about you too? I still haven't found what I'm, that was really bad. I mean, I was as bad as Bono. But yeah, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You see the theme through some of these songs? How about Johnny Lee's old class and classic, a uh, little bit of country here. Let's see, how's that go? Um, looking for love in what? All the wrong places or however that goes. Or Mick Jagger, come on. I can't get no, and then what? satisfaction, right? And I try, and I try, and I try, and I try, and I still can't get, you see the theme from all those songs? And these classic pieces of high art <laughs> are, are, are proof that this universal longing is there, at least they're an indication that it's speaking to something inside of us, that there's Awakening we need to have that there's something more and that there's something this life can't quite satisfy. Itch that it can't scratch, a thirst that it can't fill. I want you to hear the stories of some friends of mine. And, and maybe something in their stories will connect with your story. So listen to their story and think about your own. Go ahead and watch the screen. So my name is Brandon. I'm 25 years old. And... I am married to a beautiful woman named Ashley. She's going to hate me for that. <laughs> <laughs> I am Carrie Machado. I am married to my high school sweetheart, Luis Machado. We've been married for 15 years, and we have two wonderful daughters. We've been in Maryland for three years. So I grew up in Bell Camp until I was 10. And then I moved to Edgewood, and you know, I've lived in Edgewood ever since. My family is always a great family, but I just, I never grew up knowing who God was. I believed in God, but I was kind of just like, yeah, God's there, you know, and that was it. I was born and raised in Puerto Rico until I was 19 years old. 
I was raised in a family where we would go to church on Sunday and we will party, drink, get drunk, and curse the rest of the week. So it was more of a thing you did, um, going to church, check, and then you go on with your life. So in my teen years, <clears throat> I experienced a lot of death and my close family and friends. Actually, I lost my best friend in high school, in my senior year of high school, and it's somebody that I went to elementary school with, and it, it made me question death. Like, what happens when we die? Where did he go? So for me, that was like a reality check. I was like, man, okay. So I started to get curious, but I was living crazy. You know, I, I was rarely sober. Um, especially on the weekends. I, I was exploring a lot of different things. I was trying to find my purpose, and I wanted to know why I was here, you know, and I, I figured that by looking into religion and spirituality, like, I might be able to figure that out. Money was not accessible, not because it was a poor town. It was more because of the poor choices that my dad did at that point. He was given a choice, either alcohol and his family, and he said, I cannot leave the alcohol. So he decided to go. And my dad way of loving, it was kind of um, sick because he said, if you guys are not gonna be with me, then you're not gonna be with anybody. And it was his choice to turn on all, we had gas stove to turn all of them on and wait for us to get home as he was um, sneaking outside the house, waiting for us to come in so when we were in, he can throw his cigarette in. So he tried to kill us. At that point, I felt unworthy that I was not good enough for him to stay with us. I was not worthy of his love, of his time, or even worthy for him to make him change his mind. And hearing my mom over and over, you gotta do better than me. You gotta get out of here and have a better future. And that's what I thrive for. It was in my mind and in my heart, I'm gonna do better and I'm gonna get out of here. So I was searching for ways to validate myself and my worth through education. After high school, that's when I really started questioning things. Um, and I wanted to know why I was here. I wasn't satisfied with my life and the way I felt about myself. Like I didn't have a sense of purpose. I didn't believe in religion, so that just left me to be a spiritual person. And that's dangerous in a lot of ways. I believe there was one truth and I was determined to find that truth. While I was trying to prove myself, I. At the young age of 19, I decided to move to the United States to pursue my doctorate degree. And I remember going to Texas with my mama's blessing, an inflatable mattress, and my suitcase, and $50. But I was ready to conquer the world and find that thing that will make me better or worthy.
were you able to hear the longings and the uh, I can't get no satisfaction in their stories? And does it remind you of how we all experience that? Stories are different, uh, but we all can identify with some of those same longings in life, even though our stories are very different. So what Jesus does when he wants to help us move forward is he tells a story of his own. And we're going to look today and in the coming weeks at a story that was one of the most famous that Jesus told. And it's a story about a father who has two sons. And in, in this story, the younger son says to himself, man, is this all there is? There's got to be more than this. And he, he has this dissatisfaction and this longing. And so instead of assuming that his best life is there at home where he already is, he says, maybe my heart's true home is someplace else, a distant country, you know, that elusive beyond. The story begins in Luke 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And it's an incredibly selfish uh, demand, especially when you take into account it's a younger son, not even the oldest, who had the inheritance coming to him, but also the, the sense of honor that was so important in the ancient Near Eastern world. It was the son's duty to honor his father. His, honor possessed, his father possessed the honor of the family, and the way you honor your father and mother, the way you did that was, was by caring for them into old age and running the family business when it's your turn, saying thank you for the land that your father and his father before him and his father before him and his father before him did everything they could to hand on to you. And this son, instead of, of honoring and recognizing what he's got, he says, I want out of here, which some have pointed out is the same thing as saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. You're as good as dead to me because that's when I would get my inheritance and I want it now. I'm done with these people. I don't want these traditions. I don't want this routine. I don't want to have anything to do with any of this anymore. I'm out of here. Now, before... Before you just write this kid off as this brash, you know, you know, impetuous youth, the, the thing is we got to admit that in a way, the way Jesus is telling the story, he's really just doing what we all have done, where we all kind of get a little frustrated sometimes with the way life is going. I mean, we make fun of the midlife crisis, but man, that kind of dissatisfaction is real. And we can get sad or angry about the way our life is going. And this boy is just doing, longing for the same things we all are. And there's three kind of big longings that pop out in this story as you look at it. And we'll see in the coming weeks. But the first thing he's looking for is purpose. And we're all longing for purpose. Like Brandon even mentioned in the video. Think back to when you're a kid. You, you think of when you're five, six years old, you're thinking, I want to be a nurse or an astronaut or a, a preacher or a baseball player. Why? You don't need the money. You don't get bills to pay. Why is a kid dreaming about that? Because of that God-implanted desire inside of every human to have a purpose, to make a difference, to be here on purpose, and to know that everything's not just a big colossal waste of time. And so that, that longing for purpose, now it can drive you away from God like it did this kid in the story and maybe some of you. But you know, it can also be the thing that starts leading us home. The longing for purpose is big. You know, the other one that you see in this boy is a longing for love. In fact, we all long for love. And I'm not sure there's anything greater than that built-in longing for love. 
like unconditional love. Look at verse 13. It says that not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. In other words, that's code word for this kid went to Atlantic City, went to New York City. He went to Vegas, okay? He went to Amsterdam or some exotic place like, I don't know, Elkton, right? So he's off. He's, he's, he's going to go. And distant country is kind of code word in the Bible for greener grass because it's always somewhere else. So, you know, you got the picture in your mind. This is girls gone wild. This is spring break. This is the Vegas Strip. This is frat parties with binge drinking and lots of shots and alcohol and all the sex you want. We learn later from his brother um, in the story that he wasted all his money on prostitutes, okay? Why? Because he had the same deep desire for, lo- for belonging, for love, for connection that we all have. Which is why I think someone's right when they said, every person who's ever knocked on the door of a house of prostitution is looking for God. Because we all long for love. We just sometimes look for love in all the wrong places. So whether it's Ashley Madison or a Friday night hookup at a bar or swiping right on Tinder in hope of that fulfillment, the pursuit of pleasure leaves our hearts empty still. The wise man who wrote Ecclesiastes said it this way. He says, I'm going to pursue pleasure and see what it delivers. And look at, as you look at chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, here's what he says. He says, I said to myself, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found this too was meaningless. I decided to cheer myself with wine. I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. But, he says, it was all meaningless. In the end, it was like chasing the wind. There was nothing worthwhile really there. No matter how great the vibe in the moment is or that glass feels in your hand or that experience or that pleasure, it's fleeting and the more we look to the things of this world to provide our deepest satisfactions and pleasures, the more frustrating they are. So that's where this story comes out to kind of surprise us with this crazy turn of events. The young man is experiencing some of this very reality. His money runs out, the famine hits the land, and he finds himself in a very desperate situation, kind of really on the bottom looking up. Now, he's a kosher Jewish boy, and the surprise in the story is that everyone knows that, that, that the good Jewish families, according to the Old Testament law, would never go around unclean animals like pigs. They would never touch human feces. It was commanded. It was against the, the law, and yet here is this boy. Now he's so low, he's out of money, his friends are gone, and he's working with the pigs in a sty. He's, he's ready to eat their food. He's shoveling their poop. I mean, it's the lowest of the low to show how broke, how hungry, and how desperate he is. And, and I, I've, I've seen a lot of pig farms, but I'm not sure I've ever been to the place where I'm ready to eat their food, you know, and lie down and sleep with them. But this guy's at rock bottom, and that's when he realizes there's got to be something more. I left home, and I came here. I thought this was it. And that, that longing for purpose, that longing for, for love kind of leads him to his third great awakening that we all need to have. And that is that he starts, he starts to have a longing for meaning. And we all have a longing for meaning. To ask the big why questions, not just the little, not the little silly why questions like why is, why is 
grandpa's hair gone and mama, grandma's hair blue, you know, or not, you know, not, not uh, wh- why did, you know, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons or, uh, you know, why does glue stick to the inside of the bottle or, you know, what's another word for thesaurus? You know, those are silly questions, but you know what? We all start having deep questions at some point, don't we? Like, God, why would you allow this to happen? Or what's the meaning of life after all? Or what happens when I die? Or why am I in so much pain? Why do I feel like I'm always getting ripped off in life? Why is this happening? Or what's, how is there meaning in some of these seemingly tragic events? We long for meaning. And this boy in the story, his, his longing for purpose sure as heck wasn't being fulfilled. And his longing for love wasn't being met with the latest hookup or high-priced call girls. And, and it's leading him to this why is my life so screwed up kind of moment, which is actually a gift because it taps into the longing that God put inside of you to lead you back to himself, to lead you home. And if we'll be quiet and still and let our hearts kind of speak to us through the longings that God put there, we'll have those same questions arise inside of us Albert Camus was an existentialist, and he said that he said that our hearts long for everlasting relationships and meaning and hope and purpose, but all we ever get in life is a bunch of dead ends, the conscious certainty of death without hope, he said. He called it this chronic lack of fulfillment. He called it absurd. He said, life's absurd, and you know what? His perspective that life is this sort of absurd thing where you're looking for stuff you can never really get. The Bible actually agrees with him. Jesus agrees. That's why he's telling the story. In the sense that life without God always brings futility. Because the, the, the things of this world can never and never will fulfill the deepest longings of our heart. And yet we keep going after it like maybe more romance, more fun, more excitement, more success, more academics. A different job if I could just get more money or travel more or get better at this sport or lose this much weight. There's always something more. But you know, we're looking for and longing for a kind of fulfillment that can only be found in Jesus Christ, our heart's true home. God is our home. And let me just tell you, if suffering is causing you to ask some big questions right now, like, it's like, man, I don't, this isn't fair. Even that sense of injustice that you feel inside of you is one more way, that sense of this is not fair. That's an impulse from your maker who put some of his own justice inside of you again to awaken you as a signpost to point you in his direction. And we have a God who at the end of the day has entered our suffering, come into our pain, not from a distance, but down in the ground with us, suffered on a cross in real blood, gave up his life so he could put the world back together again and promised it will all be restored. And in the meantime, he left us with the longings inside of us to make sure we didn't drift too far down the beach and could find our way home. 
It's why Jesus told this story, and it's why God probably arranged for you to be listening to this message right now. It's not until life gets a little hard that we sometimes wake up a little bit. So I don't know what your story is. I don't know where you're looking for your, lo- for your purpose and your, your meaning and, and your love, but you'll never satisfy them in a distant land. You, you will never have a sense of your purpose until you, you have the, the words of Jesus say, welcome home, now follow me and join me on mission. You'll never have a sense of Love until you have the unconditional love of Jesus where it's, it's, you're done having to perform and be good enough because he loves you just the way you are, but he's not going to leave you that way. And you'll never, you'll never have a sense of meaning like you will in a God who made the whole world and you to be a meaningful part of it until you have that God in your life. Ed Smart faced his worst nightmare one day when he walked out of his house and there was a lawn full of TV cameras rolling and he had to address the press. It was like the worst moment of his life as he strode up to the microphone and he had to overcome his emotion and he wanted to give a message to his 14-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, who had gone missing. Something that he hoped she would hear after she had been abducted. He said, Elizabeth, if you're out there, We want you to know that we're doing everything we can to bring you home, to find you. And fighting back tears, he choked up, choked choked down his tears, and he said to the kidnappers, please, 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 just let her go and come home. For the next nine months, that 14-year-old girl, Elizabeth, she lived under the oppression of her captors who forced her to wear a wig and costumes and brainwashed her and drugged her and other horrible things all around Salt Lake City. But no one ever recognized her, even though they brought her around. She had a, a hair, head covering on and a wig. And they, they've, they've come to recognize this as the Stockholm Syndrome. It's very strange and powerful. It's, it's where you start to drift from your identity and you begin to sympathize with your captors. And the ones who are controlling you with fear, you now begin to sort of identify with. And she no longer considered the smarts her family, but these kidnappers. And she was so lost, even though she was close to home, and she didn't even know it. One day, nine months later, there was a man who saw her. I think it was in a Burger King. And he recognized her picture from the news. He called the police, and a police officer came up to this man and the woman who had abducted her, and to Elizabeth. And he asked her a few questions. And after a while, she says, I know what you think. I know you think I'm Elizabeth Smart, but I'm not. And he asked her about the wig, and she said, that's my real hair. And he asked her about the people, and he said, those are my real parents. So adamant she was. She was lost. Didn't really even know it herself. But the officer looked her in the eye, And said very gently but firmly, Elizabeth, I know who you are. You're Elizabeth Smart. And you have a family. You have someone that loves you, that's waiting for you. And I want to help you get home. And he showed her a picture of her own missing person's bulletin. 
And that moment of truth came in and the longings of her heart reoriented and like in a moment she began to cry and recognize the truth of what had happened. And tears streamed down her face and she said, I want to go home. God wants you to have that same kind of moment. He wants me to have that same kind of moment where you realize that the loyalties and agreements we've made with the distant country are not our truest and best home. And wherever you find yourself today, God knows your name, he loves you, and he invites you to come home. I want to invite you to be here every weekend throughout this series because we're going to just get really raw and real with some of the longings that we have and how we're trying to fulfill them in, in kind of different ways sometimes. And give ourselves the ability to finally truly come home. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer. A prayer that we'll pray every week over the next few weeks together. Whether you're one of the devout or one of the distant. Will you pray this prayer with me? It's simple. It's just, it's just a prayer that says, God, if you're there, make yourself real to me. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. Like, make that wager. And just see what might happen. Let's pray that prayer together. God, if you are real, would you make yourself real to us? God, God, if you're there and this whole thing we're doing today isn't a joke, I pray that you'll make yourself real to the people listening, that you'll move among us, that you'll meet us, that you'll show up in circumstances and inner nudges and through the, the words of Scripture through the witness of your church, and that you will wait on us, but also that you'll pursue us as we seek you with all of our heart. I pray for hearts to turn toward you as we are awakened to the longings that you yourself have put inside of us. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus so that we might all come home. Amen.